Amen. Awesome. If you guys have your Bibles tonight, which I'm sure you do, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be starting with verse 16 tonight. We have just begun last week our, our venture into the book of Exodus, the life of Moses. And it's really exciting for me to, to get to teach on the book of Exodus. It's a book I, I've, I've never taught through before or never taught the life of Moses before. So as I'm for the first time studying to teach, it's the best way to learn something is to try to relay that lesson and that message to another person. Because as you're teaching someone, it almost solidifies the lesson in yourself. And with the word of God, how much conviction it can put on you when you will begin to, to teach. Because we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to bring a black eye to the church by teaching and preaching one thing and living a completely different lifestyle. And you know, have your devotional time. For those who are teachers and teachers of the word, you don't leave your devotional time ever. You continue in your devotional time and you still study and prepare to teach the word of God. Now, as I've been studying now, Moses, I, where we left off, we saw Moses and how God did a miracle as he was a, a child. They're born in Egypt to his Israelite parents after the Pharaoh had ordered that all the male children were to be killed because the Israelites were multiplying so abundantly. Moses' parents, they put him in the little ark and sent him down the river. And by God's sovereignty, that ark was led to one of Pharaoh's daughters, pulled Moses out of the ark, and had compassion on the child. And then Moses' sister, who was watching him, got a hold of, of Pharaoh's daughter and said, would you like me to get a wet nurse for the child to help? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, absolutely. So then Moses' own mother was then able to care for and look after her own son and to train and teach him about who God is. And she did a good job apparently because Moses never left his faith in God. He was trained as a child, not only in the word of God, but also educated in, in Egypt. He was the prince of Egypt and he was being groomed and raised as an Egyptian at the same time that he had his roots in knowing who God is. 
And he had this, this call that he felt in his life because he saw the oppression of the Israelites there in Egypt. He saw that they were enslaved by harsh taskmasters and he felt called to be their liberator. And in his own flesh and his own strength, if you remember, he saw the taskmaster, the Egyptian taskmaster beating on an Israelite and he grabbed the taskmaster and then murdered him and then in fear buried him in the sand and tried to cover his tracks and hoped that nobody saw. But then the next day when he saw two of his Israeli brothers fighting, he said, why are you guys fighting with each other? You guys are brothers. And one of them said to him, who, who made you judge over us? Are you going to kill us the way you killed that Egyptian? And Moses knew that he had been made, that he had been found out. So because of this, Moses fled. And he fled now from that place of prosperity, of being a prince to the desert. And his ideas and his dreams and his vision of being that liberator for his brethren, the Israelites, was crushed. And Moses, there in the desert, is a broken man. In Hebrews 11, you don't need to turn there, but in Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 26, it says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So Moses felt this call to God, and he denied himself of the pleasures of Egypt, but he still was trying to do things his way. So God had to break him. And God oftentimes, before he uses a person greatly, he first separates that person to himself and breaks them and then builds them back up. That's something that uh, noteworthy. That God often must, before he uses a person greatly, must break him greatly. In Exodus chapter 2, we left off with verse 16. We're picking up from right here in Exodus 2, 16. After Moses fled from Egypt, and he's now in the desert, it says in verse 16, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to rule their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us 
from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So as Moses is now in the wilderness, in the desert of Midian, he comes across Rule's seven daughters. And they're there watering the flocks and some shepherds, they come and they were these bullies who would sometimes get their water first before these seven daughters. But since Moses was there and perhaps he was feeling quite zealous for some of the, the women there, he stopped these shepherds from being bullies. And they were able to get their water first and return to their father sooner than normal. What I recognize is how God placed Moses at the right place at the right time. And in this brokenness, one of the first things that God provides Moses with for Moses is a wife. And I'm encouraged that Moses, he was basically broken on the journey of the wilderness. He, at this point, was no longer perhaps maybe because he had to flee, even leaving any thought of anybody he knew who might have been a potential wife and had to then now just trust that God was going to help provide for him, to help him to survive in the wilderness. And I'm encouraged, you know what? For those who are single, wait for God to bring that person in your life. Wait for God to do the work. And be open when he moves. Be open for when you see a movement of the Spirit to jump in it. Now, God is not going to bring you a worldly person. God will not have you mixed with the world. So if somebody is of the world and they're seducing you or trying to tempt you, that's, that's not of God. But wait for God. It's so much better when you wait on God's timing. So this is kind of the story now of how Moses met his wife. And then in verse 20, it says, So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man and gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So this is pretty unique, where Rule was impressed by Moses's taking care of his daughters. So he said, you know what? Come live with us. It's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. But then remember, this is the very hospitable times. Um, hospitality was big, and so Moses was a guest in Rule's house. But after some time, I'm sure, Rule found favor upon Moses, and Moses ends up marrying Zipporah, his daughter. Now, the first son that they have, Gershom, his name literally means foreigner or expelled. Now, this was actually a good name. It wasn't a bad name. It wasn't like something that was derogatory. But both Moses and Zipporah named him Gershom, saying, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Because Moses was 
recognizing that God had blessed him with a son through God moving him into a foreign land. This meant Moses was thankful for the sovereign God leading him to a foreign country and blessing him with a son. Similar to when Joseph, after all the trials that, if you remember, Joseph went through, after being sold into slavery and put in prison, when he's finally out of prison and is blessed with a wife and he has his first two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh, his, his name means God has caused me to forget all the trials that the, were plaguing Joseph. This son that came into Joseph's life made him forget of all the evils that were in the past. And he thanked God and it was a blessing in his life. And you know, sometimes God allows that in our life where yes, we've been through trials and we've been through struggles and it's in the past and God then puts something in front of us to then look forward to and to thank him for. Whether that be a daughter, a son, a a marriage, a, a, a ministry. And God has his blessings here. And we rejoice when God does that in our life. And it's something cool to to not dwell on the past anymore, but to look forward to what God is doing in your life today. In verse 23, it says, Now it happened, in the process of time, that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So now after that Pharaoh who was ordering for all the firstborn sons to be killed, he dies, he passes away. But the children of Israel still continue in their slavery. They continue in their bondage. But God hears their cries. You know, perhaps we can relate to in times feeling as though we are bound to something. And that could be so many different trials in our life. Perhaps there's sin that is you are struggling with in your life that you are bound to. Maybe you're not even a believer and you're bound to this world. You are, have no ability to let go of sin in your life because you don't have God in your life. And for the believers we sometimes allow bondages into our life to either this world, to fear, to anxieties and stresses. Maybe sometimes marriage can feel as though there's disagreements and pain and, and, and bondage in it. You know, God hears our cries when we bring these bindings to him. When we bring these chains to him and say, God, 
I need you to set me free. God hears. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, in John 8 verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do we feel that we are bound tonight? The the truth, the word sets us free. Again, in John 8, verse 33, it says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. The Pharisees are saying this. How can you say you shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Wow, that's powerful. You see, if Jesus is telling us that he sets us free, then we're free indeed. In Galatians 5.1 Paul wrote to the Galatians saying, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You see, we need to stay away from sin and stand in the freedom that God gives us. We don't have, God doesn't give us grace and freedom so that we can continue in sin God gives us grace and freedom so that we don't have to sin anymore. That was Jesus' mission. In Luke chapter 4, we're going through this gospel on Sunday mornings, but in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says why he came to this world. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim liberty to the captives. God is setting us free tonight. Embrace the freedom that Christ gives you. Leave works and man's religion. Leave the legality, the the legalism of a workspace relationship and go to the true relationship that's based on God's word, that's based on this Holy Spirit living in us, speaking to us, having a a real genuine relationship with God, free from sin. In chapter three of Exodus, we have one of the most famous accounts of the Bible, Moses at the burning bush. Let's begin with verse one. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We see again Moses' preparation time in the wilderness. Now God has led him to the wilderness, and what's he learning? He's learning about the lizards and the snakes that come out of the rocks. He's learning about what to eat, what's good in the desert, 
wonder is good in the desert. And all the places to take his flock to then have water. He's learning all these survival tactics, life application for him to survive in the wilderness. And not only that, he's leading a flock of sheep. Now, rule from the Bible, it shows that he's a man who had wealth and Moses is now leading this flock, which I'm sure was a, a decent-sized flock through the desert and having to care for and tend for them, keeping them safe. And this is all preparation for what God was going to do when Moses was going to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. And suddenly in verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight and why the bush does not burn. Now, first Moses had to be set apart from Egypt. He was raised 40 years in Egypt, and then now in the desert for another 40 years, growing old in his 80s, the angel of the Lord appears to him. So first Moses had to be set apart so that he wouldn't be have his eyes or mind set on the Egyptian palaces anymore. Or he wouldn't have his mind set on the way that he wanted to try to liberate the Israelites. But now he was open for what the Lord wanted to do. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. This phrase for the angel of the Lord, we've seen it before in the book of Genesis. This is Jesus himself. That word for angel, it's also translated messenger. And we know that this angel of the Lord speaking to Moses through the burning bush is God. And who else is God's messenger than Jesus? So now this burning bush, some people see this as a symbol of Israel where Israel would be that, that bush that's, that's burning and God would be the fire. But yet Israel, the bush, it's not being destroyed by the presence of this fire, by the presence of God. And God is in the midst of Israel. And the fact that it's not burning to Moses, that would have caught his attention. This would have been a miracle to him. It was unusual. So he then approaches this. You know, we have to have discernment in our life. We can't just be tunnel vision and not aware of what God might be calling us to in our life. Sometimes he has to take things out of our, our peripheral, out of our view, so that we can be open and ready to see something that's unique. So Moses then turns aside to this bush, and then in verse 4, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush 
and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So again, first he got Moses' attention by himself. And then God spoke to him. You know, sometimes we're not ready to receive because our mind is elsewhere, because our heart is elsewhere. We need to give God our attention. God desires it. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't hear from the Lord. God's not talking to me. Yet we don't set a time aside, set time aside to focus on the word, to focus on worship and having that devotional time. We need to give God that time for the attention that we can hear his voice. And God calls twice to Moses to really get his attention. And this is the first time that God speaks to Moses. He calls him by name. You see, God knows who Moses is. And Moses' proper response is your servant hears. Here I am. It reminds me of the prophet Samuel when he was a little boy. And Eli was a priest in the temple. And when Samuel was a little boy, when he was sleeping at night in the temple, suddenly he heard a voice in the middle of the night, Samuel, Samuel. And he wakes up and he's thinking like, oh, my master Eli was calling me. He goes over to Eli and he's like, was that you calling me? And Eli's like, what are you waking me up for? Go back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. Again, God calls him, Samuel, Samuel. Eli gets up. I'm sorry, Samuel gets up. He goes to Eli. He's like, for sure you were calling me. I, I, I heard you. And Eli realizes this is God who's speaking to him. So he tells Samuel, Samuel, go back to sleep. If the voice calls, respond and say, here I am, Lord, your servant hears. And Samuel did that very thing and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a prophecy. You see, we need to be ready to discern the voice of the Lord and to be ready to say, here I am, your servant hears, and then to be ready to obey. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, I liken the person who builds his house on the rock to somebody who not only obeys, but first hears and then obeys. You have to have both. You have to be able to hear, and then you have to be willing to obey. So Moses was ready to obey whatever God was about to tell him. He says, don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now Moses approaching God was actually dangerous because God is a holy God, and we are sinners. God is perfect, and we're not. For us to see God, we would die because God is so beautiful 
that we would just disintegrate in order to dwell in heaven with God, God has to give us a new body. So now God's warning him, hey, don't get too close. And then he tells him to take your sandals off your feet, which is a, a sign of humility. You see, this is now Moses approaching God and, and experiencing God in a way that it, it's unusual to him. And what I'm reminded of is actually Isaiah. When he saw the Lord. Why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Whenever we see a person who is visited by God, or even an angel, we often see that person falling down in worship, being weakened. In Isaiah chapter 6, Beginning with verse 1, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when Isaiah the prophet has this vision and is seeing the glory of the Lord filling the temple and hearing the worship, the praise that is being sung unto God, Isaiah realizes that he is a sinner. He realizes what he is, who he is in the sight of God. Because of this, he falls over and he's thinking, who am I in this presence of God? And one of the angels in this chapter goes to him with this hot coal, this burning coal, and touches Isaiah's mouth with it and tells Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. He removes the sin. And then a voice in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. You see, before God uses a man greatly, he has to break him. Isaiah was broken. He realized he was a sinner amongst a nation full of sin. But God purified him. He broke him. And then he sent him on his mission 
as a prophet. This is what Moses is experiencing. This fire in this burning bush, God now speaking out of it, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, the messenger, speaking with him, saying, careful, this is holy ground. Back in Exodus chapter three, verse six. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He's a smart man. Later on in Exodus, there's going to come a time in Moses' life where he desires to see the face of God. He desires to see the glory of God. And God tells Moses, Moses, no man can see me and live, but I'm going to let you see my afterglow on the backside of the mountain. And Moses, just looking at the afterglow of the Lord, then began to radiate light off of his face. And the light was shining off of his face. And when he came down the mountain, the people were afraid of Moses because he had this shine coming from him. So they veiled Moses' face. But for now, at this point, Moses hides his face. And then in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. You see, God sees the oppression of his people. He knows the oppression of his people. And remember, who is speaking here? The angel of the Lord. Jesus hears, he sees, he knows exactly where you're at today. He sees what you're going through. He sees the trial that you're in. He sees the anxieties and the depression. And he wants you to know that he loves you that through him you are set free, that he has a plan for your life, that he is preparing you for an eternity with him. And he desires that you have that eternal perspective where you allow Jesus to set you free. God knew what the Israelites were going through. In verse eight, it says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites. Just seeing if you're paying attention. But now what I see is that God is promising them this great land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they were supposed to take the full promises of God. This large land, by the way, land flowing with milk and honey. uh, Sometimes I've heard people say, well, oh, like we're not supposed to drink milk. You know, it's, you know, wrong to take milk from the cows. I'm like, well, God told the Israelites they're going to have a land flowing with milk and honey. I digress. God is promising them this large land full of beauty and 
prosperity. Now, something that the Israelites lacked in, something that they failed in, was taking the full land and taking the full promises of God. There were certain tribes of Israel that settled just outside of the land of Israel. Whether it was uh, some of them were in the north and rather taking the full, going further down and taking the full land, they stayed back towards the north outside of the land of Israel because they were afraid, some of them. Some of them got lazy and some of them wanted to stay back and just relax and they didn't want to go further on into victory but they wanted to stay where they were at. And then when the enemy came, the other nations began to try to attack Israel. Those were the first tribes of Israel that fell. So may we not settle outside or less than God's promises for us, but may we take the full promises of God, hold on to those promises right out of God's word, that he promises never to leave you or forsake you. He's promised you salvation. He's promised that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. That where two or, or more are gathered, there he is in the midst of us, that God is everywhere. God is with us. Now in verse nine, it says, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So now God is giving him his mission. God is giving him his call. You know, some of us, at times in our life, we're not ready for God to give us the, the call or the mission that we're in yet. And God is preparing us. Sometimes we're like Moses in that wilderness experience. But may we rejoice in the day of small things. May we rejoice when God is preparing us because every season is preparation for the next. Even once we're in, as Moses was in that call when he's finally leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. Even then, it was still preparation for what God was going to do next. It wasn't finality. So may we rejoice where God has us today and not look so far ahead that we're not focused on what God has told us to take care of today. Now, there's a symbolism for this account of the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the wilderness to the promised land. Sometimes people get this symbolism a little wrong in the sense that they see the promised land as being heaven and eternity. But the reality is that even in the promised land, they had to fight battles and fight giants and to conquer the land. So an accurate symbolism or allegory of this whole account is Egypt is the world. Okay, Egypt is the world, and when we are saved, we come out of the world, like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, being set free from sin, being set free from the world. 
And then we enter as believers sometimes into this wilderness experience where sometimes when we first get saved, there's still a lot of the world. There's a mixed congregation with us. We have uh, to go through struggles. We're in the wilderness. We're, We're uncertain where perhaps we're going at times, but God is still leading us. He's leading us by that fi- the pillar of fire, the cloud by day. And God has his purpose for the wilderness experience. And God always provides. God doesn't leave you. God desires that we have that time of getting alone with him, being prepared for what he's calling us through. And then as they cross over the river Jordan and into the promised land, The promised land is this picture of victorious Christian living. Victorious Christian living. And that's to remind us that even as believers, we're going to have battles. There's going to be trials and struggles that we're still going to go through. But with Christ, we are made more than conquerors. You see, to be a conqueror is someone who has had some success in battle and you're looking at another battle that's to come. But to be more than a conqueror is to already know that Jesus has already gotten the victory and given it to us. He's already made us free. So because of this, we are more than a conqueror. It's promised to us. And that's victorious Christian living. At verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So now Moses naturally begins to doubt a little bit. He's like, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm old. I've been living in this desert. I, I tried. I tried to liberate the Israelites, all right? God, it, it didn't work. And here I am now out in the desert. I've got a family here. I take care of the sheep. Life is good. What, what are you going to do with me? And God says, no, I'm going to use you. And that's what happens sometimes in our lives is we begin to doubt God through us. You see, it's fine to doubt ourselves, I think, at times, but not to doubt God through you. Because we realize we can't do it. If we really trust ourselves, then we're going to trust ourselves and not God. But when we trust God through us, then 
You see God moving by his spirit, that overpowering experience, the Holy Spirit flowing through you and allowing him to do the work and not being in fear and not constantly doubting yourself, but trusting in God. So Moses is like, well, what am I going to say to them? They're going to ask me, well, what's this? God spoke to you? Like, sure, Moses, you haven't been here in 40 years. You're coming back, you're old, and you're saying God spoke to you. What's God's name? And then in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am. Am has sent me to you. Ooh. That's a powerful verse right there. I would underline that in your Bible. I am. Now that phrase, it's literally the becoming one. What's interesting is that God, that the word G-O-D, God, that's not God's name. It's a title that we give him. He is God, creator of the heavens and the earth. But it's not his name. See, the Israelites believed, the Jews believed, that his name was so holy that it was wrong for them to even pronounce it. So they came up with these letters in Hebrew. It was in our English Latin translation, J-H-V-H. You see, because with just those words, J-H-V-H, you can't really pronounce a word with that, Jehovah. It's not really a, a pronounceable word. And what they wanted to prevent was us from pronouncing the holiness of who God is. That's how serious they took his name. And then eventually, through time, the J-H-V-H turned into Jehovah. But what that name went back to, what its literal meaning was, was the all-becoming one, God, creator, almighty, Jehovah. Now, Jesus claimed to be the I am. In John chapter 8, verse 51, when the Pharisees were coming against him, now pointing fingers and saying, Jesus, you have a demon in you. You do the work of the devil. Jesus was saying this in John chapter 8. Why don't you turn to John chapter 8? In John chapter 8, beginning with verse 51, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? 
And Jesus answered them, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Verse 57. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, Jesus, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. You see, Jesus, when he said these words, I am, before Abraham was, I am, he is claiming to be equal with God. He is claiming to be God at this point. He is making himself part of that trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. Jesus existed through forever. He has no creation. Jesus is the I am. And throughout Jesus' life, he has even seven I am statements. I would love to get into it, but due to time, why, why don't you look up what are the seven I am statements of Jesus and just be blessed by that study. But back in Exodus chapter three, look at verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. So again, he's telling them to gather the Israelites and tell them that same message that I'm telling you. Moses is turning into the messenger now, the prophet. In verse 18, then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. See, this is what God was calling them to do. He wasn't calling them to go and to live successful lives outside of Egypt. He was calling them to worship God. 
See, God was going to bring about the things that they needed in life, but he called them to worship him. And then in verse 19, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. You see, I see Pharaoh as Satan in our lives. Of all the things that Satan will try to do to keep us from going to worship the Lord. May we submit to God, resist the devil, and worship God. In verse 21, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So God is telling them, look, you're not just going to leave Egypt with just barely enough to make it through the wilderness, but I'm going to provide for all your needs over and abundant like you could ever think of. And I love when God promises to never leave us, never forsake us. That he promises that he's going to give us that salvation. That one day all this pain, this trial, it's going to be over. And that all things work to good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. These are the promises to carry with us tonight. That whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that the truth will set you free. The word of God will set you free from fear, from sin. You see though that I am statement, Jesus has seven of them. And through those statements, we see that Jesus is everything we need. He is the light of this world. He is the life and the resurrection. He's our good shepherd. May you walk with him this week in prayer, in worship. When God calls you and he sets you aside, when he puts you through the wilderness, know that he's doing something. Sometimes we don't see it. And may you walk in his grace this week. May you be filled with his spirit and just allow God to work through your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, for just your love, your grace. We thank you, Father, that you've given us a new life. If there's anyone listening to tonight and you have chains in your life, you have, you're under bondage, whether it's to sin or to some trial, some fear, some struggle, some anxiety. If that's you tonight, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I confess that I need your help. Forgive me, Father, of all my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Tonight, feel free to message us. Feel free to, uh, we actually have a, a prayer request that I, I do want to lift up. Hold on. We do want to lift up uh, one more prayer um, tonight that it came in. And if, if you ever tune in and you would like to drop a prayer request, please do so. We want to pray tonight for the Ocaranza family and the Lopez and the Mesa family. They're battling COVID right now. So let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace. We lift up these families to you, Lord God, for Gonzalez, for the Ocaranza, for Lopez, and for the Mesa family who are battling with COVID. Give them healing. Give them peace, Father. Lord God, set us free. We love you, Lord Jesus. May your Holy Spirit go forth. We pray in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more song. Let's do that G pad. Am I that the highest king would welcome? I was lost, but he brought me in for his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Oh, the sun sets free. child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, be blessed.